Uh, movies thrive on the close call, don't they? You think of uh, the thrill you get when it's a narrow escape. Uh, think of, you know, a classic one would be Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Remember that scene where there's the boulder coming at him and you don't know if he's going to make it out alive and, oh, there's all sorts of traps set for him and is he going to make it? Uh, and I'll let you watch it to find out whether or not he does. There's Finding Nemo. Think of the shark scene in Finding Nemo where they're in the sunken ship and the sharks are saying, fish are friends, not food, right? And then, and then the shark gets a whiff of blood and he, he goes berserk. And here's Nemo's dad, uh, this little clownfish against three sharks. Uh, and there's no way he's going to make it. They're, they're thrilling to watch, those kinds of narrow escapes, those close calls. But the psalm we're looking at this morning, Psalm 124, I'd encourage you to turn there. It describes a close call that's not a laughing matter. It's not fun. Um, it's a psalm that's written by David. That's his story, and it's Israel's story, but it's also our story. So would you look with me at Psalm 124, and let's see what the Lord has to say to us, what our story is, okay? Psalm 124, a song of a sense of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Lord, I pray this morning that you would give us understanding. We always need your spirit if we're going to understand your mind and, and your word. So please, Holy Spirit, would you make us open our eyes to, to see and to know. Open our eyes to, to recognize and feel the situation that we were in to see the reality of it, but also I, I pray that you would give us joy as we consider what you've done for us. As always, God, would you please exalt uh, our Lord Jesus Christ this morning in our eyes. Uh, in his name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing, one of the, the biggest things that Psalm 124 uh, wants us to do is to remember your plight. To remember the hopelessness of the situation that you were in. Uh, this was a song, well, look at verse 2 for a second. It, it, it shows the problem when people rose up against us. And the question is, who? Who rose up against us? Well, it was written of David. Uh, so you could, where David, take your pick of any number of enemies of his. Think just for a second of the Philistines and Goliath. That, that giant dragon of a man who was over nine feet tall. He had armor like scales on his body. His spear alone weighed over 30 pounds. And he roared, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Well, there's an enemy for you that would swallow you up. But Psalm 124 came to be sung not just by David, but it came to be sung as we have it in the Psalter here by all of Israel. So who were some of Israel's enemies? Who might they have had in mind as they read this psalm? Assyria? 
Babylon, Persia, the, those world superpowers to the east, who at different times leveled cities, slaughtered people, deported those who were left alive. Oh, the text doesn't say. I, I think it's actually intentional that it doesn't say. It allows it to be sung not just by David, but by Israel. And not just by Israel, but by us today. What it does, instead of naming names, is it describes these threats, these enemies, with four images, and they're all designed to make you feel overwhelmed. They're designed to make you feel the power and the strength of these enemies, and to show the utter helplessness of God's people in the face of them. The first one is that of a monster. Look at verse 3. Then they would have swallowed us alive when their anger broke out against us. You can picture the jaws of some unearthly beast opened wide enough to swallow you whole. And that's what the psalmist is saying. That's what we were like. We were like a little creature wriggling, maybe a little mouse squirming, and just going to be dropped right down the throat of some awful monster. That was our situation. Another image he gives of that uh, uh, is that of a flood in verses 4 and 5. The flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Over us would have gone the raging waters. I want have, have any of you ever swam out to the second sandbar in the ocean? It sounds like a great idea, and it's not a great idea. Uh, I've done it before and won't do it again. Uh, I'm, I'm not a great swimmer. You swim out there, and you realize how far it is. And have you ever felt the experience of your, your muscles just getting drained of their energy? The undercurrent is pulling you much harder than you want it to, and you find yourself dipping under the water a little bit. It's a terrifying experience. Water has a, a, a strength to it that is overwhelming. But he's not just talking about drowning. He's talking about something more than that. The flood would have swept us away. Over us would have gone the raging waters. He's talking about a human army that is like a tsunami crashing through the land and leveling everything in its path. That's what these enemies are like. The third uh, image that he gives is that of a beast of prey in verse 6. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. And here, don't picture a monster with gaping jaws swallowing you alive. Instead, think of something more like a lion or a hyena who's taken down a zebra and is ripping the flesh off, grinding it to pieces, slowly, bit by bit. God's people were feeling the agony of defeat by degrees, being ground down between teeth like powder. That's what their situation was like. And the fourth one is that of a fowler's snare. Somebody's going to catch a bird. In some ways, it's the most pitiful image of all. It, it highlights the, just how helpless God's people were. Look at verse 7. It's, um, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. You can, you can picture a, a bird, fragile, hollow bones, speeding its wings, trying to get out, hurting itself the more it tries. Let me think about applying this today. We have enemies today, Christians. They're not Philistines or Babylonians or any other ethnic group for that matter. No, it's not the person who cuts you off in traffic. It's not that mom at daycare that gets under your skin that you can't stand to be around. They're not personal enemies. They're enemies of God's people as they are 
God's people, people who hate the Lord and therefore who hate the Lord's people. These enemies, I'll give four of them, they are monsters and they are far greater than we have the strength to deal with on our own. They are the world, the flesh, that is our sinful nature, death, and the devil. So let's think about the situation we were in with our enemies. First, the world. And again, by this, I I don't just mean the earth. I mean the world as it opposes God. The world as it rejects Jesus and therefore rejects his people to the degree that they witness about Jesus. Think about it. What can a group of Chinese Christians huddled secretly in the living room do against the force of a government that wants to shut them down? What can they do about it on their own? Or any one of us? What can any one of us on our own do to withstand the strong lure, the seduction of, of things of this world that, that just pull on our hearts and make us want to set our love on those things rather than in heaven? It's too strong for us. The world is more than we can deal with on our own. Or take our flesh. The Bible uses the word flesh many times to talk about the sin inside of us, the way that we are bent to do what is wrong, our sinful nature. Every person in the world, everybody, is born slaves to sin like a bird caught in a snare. Perhaps we most vividly feel this with addictions. When you are addicted to something, whatever it be, you feel the pull of it that is way more than you can handle. You feel like it's just got a chokehold on you, and, and you, you're powerless against it. Have you ever felt that way? I cannot help myself from whatever. That shows the strength that our sin has inside of us at times, where, where you, you cannot escape, you cannot get out. But it's true for more acceptable or hidden sins, too. Take pride. I struggle with pride. I wrestle with it a lot. Maybe you're faithful in reading your Bible every day. Maybe you're faithful in spending time praying to the Lord. You were at church every week, not only at church, but you signed up to go to the prayer thing for an hour. Or maybe you spend your, your Saturdays helping your needy neighbor or doing some kind of outreach, and you start getting puffed up because of it. You start despising others, people who don't do it as well as you do or as much as you do, and you start looking down on them and saying, Lord, thank goodness I'm not like that sinner over there. And then you maybe also get in that awful cycle of you, you catch yourself and you, you want to be humble. Oh, I shouldn't be that way. And then you feel proud about being humble. You ever feel that? <laughs> yeah, it's, sin's a mess. It really is. Um, <clears throat> this is. This is kind of what Paul described uh, when he says in Romans chapter 7, I have not, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you feel that, that, the strength of that? Our flesh, Christians, our sinful nature is too strong. We will never free ourselves from it. So there's the world, there's the flesh. What about death? Well, the wages of this sinful flesh, the wages of sin is death. All have sinned, therefore all will die. 
adults, youth, children, you will one day die. I don't say that to be grim or grotesque or to instill fear in you. I say it as the reality of what life is like as sinners. And nothing can put that at bay. Not all of Elon Musk's money can stop it. Not all of Pfizer's uh, drugs that they come up with can keep it at bay. Nobody will escape someday dying and returning to dust. It's an enemy that we cannot defeat on our own. And what about the devil? The Bible describes Satan as a uh, prowling about like a roaring lion or like a furious dragon who seeks to devour people. The very name Satan, it means adversary, one who opposes. And he's powerful, and he hates you. He hates you, and he hates the Lord, and he will do everything in his power that he can to hinder you. He's strong. Think of the book of Job. Do you remember at the beginning of the book of Job, God allowed Satan, again, this is all under God's power, under God's control, but God allowed Satan, and Satan is powerful enough that he was able to entice whole groups of people to swoop, pillage villages, and murder people, then go off. He was powerful enough in the book of Job, again, under God's authority, to to make lightning crash down, and hail, and uh, fire to fall to consume flocks and servants of Job. He's only powerful, he's deceptive. Think of how he tempted Eve, who didn't have a sinful bent in her, to eat the fruit that God had explicitly said, do not eat. He's an expert at justifying sin. He would love to whisper in your ear at the end of a long day or a long week, you deserve whatever it is. You deserve it. It won't be a lot. Maybe just a little bit. It'll be short. You can always, you can always say you're sorry afterwards. You can always repent afterwards, you'll be forgiven, and it won't hurt anybody anyways. He loves doing that kind of thing, and he's very good at it. He loves to say, did God really say X, Y, or Z? He's a deceiver. He's also an accuser. He knows our dirt. He knows our hypocrisy, how much we say one thing in public and in private we're a totally different person. He knows sins of ours that other people just don't know, and he'll whisper in your ear how you are a fraud. He'll whisper in your ear how you could not be loved by God, how you must not be saved because of all the bad things that you do. We couldn't stand a chance against him on our own. It'd be like a fly coming up against a windshield. It, it just won't work. So people of God... Psalm 124 wants us to remember our plight. All these things had a chokehold on you. If it hadn't been the Lord who was on our side, we would be swept away by the flood of the world's opposition. We would be held fast in iron bonds of sin. We would be swallowed up by death, and we would be caught in the devil's snare, never to escape. And if you're sitting in this room this morning... And you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ to save you. Then it's sobering. But you need to know that this is your situation. This is where you find yourself. And it's not looking good. I encourage you to keep listening. I'm so glad you're here. I encourage you to keep listening to hear the only way that you can escape it. 
So we're to remember our plight, but we're also to remember not just how hard everything is, how bad everything is, we're also to remember our deliverance. We're to remember how we are set free. This is the case with David and Israel. Against overwhelming odds, God's people came out alive. Young boy David, still growing peach fuzz, grabs a stone and a sling and takes the giant Goliath down. The exiled Jews somehow find favor in the sight of the Persian king and are sent home with a blank check in hand to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. Was it because of their strength? Was it because of their wile? Was it because of a daring, risk-it-all, brilliant maneuver? Not at all. Look at how the psalm describes their escape in verse 7. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. In other words, it should have been different. The outcome was already decided. We were headed straight for eternity in the jaws of our enemies. But somebody had pity on this poor chirping sparrow and let it free. Brothers and sisters, that's why we gather on Sundays, isn't it? We gather on Sundays to remember the name of the one who set us free. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Christ has broken the snare, Christian, and you are free. The Father sent Jesus from heaven to defeat these strong enemies and to rescue us. But the astounding thing is how he did it. He did not come with the battle trumpet in order to, 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 with a sword in hand, slice people down. Instead, he came with a baby's cries. He didn't come in power and in majesty and in glory. Instead, he came in humility and in weakness, dressed as a servant. And the death blow to our enemies, the death blow was for Jesus to let the devil possess one of his closest followers to betray him. The death blow was to let the world which rejected him strip him naked and hang him on a cross. The death blow to our enemies was for Jesus to bear our sin upon his shoulders. It was for Jesus to drown in the floodwaters of the Father's wrath and curse until he breathed his last. And it was for Jesus to let the grave swallow him whole for three days. But by this, he has freed us from them all. By this, he has put the world in subjection to himself. The world won't have the final say. All things have been put under Jesus' feet. All military forces, terrorist organizations, politicians, nations, powers. There is not a single person you can think of who will not one day bodily fall on their knees before the Lord Jesus Christ. And in fact, Jesus is doing the beautiful work of redeeming a world that hates him by taking those who are his enemies and making them his people, his sons, his daughters. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I urge you to come now before Jesus and bow the knee to him now. And he will hear you and accept you and set you free. Jesus said, take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus has also defeated our flesh. 
He has broken the snare of sin. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he bore our sins while he was on the cross. And our sinful nature was nailed to the cross with Jesus. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it. We know, Paul says, that our old self, that's speaking of our sinful nature, our flesh, the sin in us, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So go back with me for a minute. Just think about the examples we gave earlier of addiction and pride. Addiction may have a strong pull on you, Christian. But it has no authority over you. You can say to it, this sounds easier than it is, I know, but this is the reality of it. You can say to the sin, sin of addiction or whatever it is, you are not my master. Satan would love for me to think that you are. But you are not. You can seethe and foam at the mouth and rage all you want, but when I walk away from you, you have no authority over me. I belong to Christ. Or, pride. When you feel pride swelling in you like a balloon, you pray something like, Lord, forgive me. I feel pride. Please forgive me. Please make me humble. And, and please forgive me for the pride at feel, I feel at praying this prayer. Make me truly humble. Please, God. And then, after that, you can drop it and walk away knowing that you're forgiven. Why? Because you're not a slave to that sin anymore. It doesn't need to own you and control you by making you constantly think and feel about how not humble you are and how you should be. Christ has forgiven you. The chain is broken. Go in peace. If the Son sets you free, Jesus said, you are free indeed. What about the enemy of death? Listen to this. This is what the Apostle Paul says. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Brothers and sisters, when we're raised from the dead on the last day when Jesus returns, then shall come to pass, this is from 1 Corinthians, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Many of you here have buried people whom you love. Many of you here are facing severe sickness or uh, feel your body decaying as you age. Just this week, uh, I got news of a woman I know who on Wednesday, out of the blue, unexpectedly, was diagnosed with acute leukemia and two days later died. But by his death, Christ has killed death. When Jesus rose, he came up out of the throat of the grave and out of the jaws of death, never to die again. And we will rise with him. Christian, you will live. 
Though you die, you will live. And the saints who have died before us will also live. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And lastly then, what about that ancient serpent, the devil? Well, speaking of what Jesus did on a cross, listen to Colossians here. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's speaking of the spiritual rulers and authority. Satan being one of them. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross, on the cross, in him. Christian, we are no longer under the devil's power. Rather, Jesus has, Jesus has disarmed him. In fact, the Bible talks about Jesus having put the devil in chains. He has bound the devil and he has crushed the serpent's head under his foot. And the astounding thing is in Romans, he says this. Not only has Christ crushed the head of the serpent, but he says, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. So when Satan whispers in your ear, God must not love you because of all these hard things that are going on in your life. Would a God who loves you really let that happen to you? Slam the door in his face and resist him. Remind yourself of what God has done for you and what God has promised he will do for you. And the Bible says he will flee from you. Not on your own power, but because of the power of Christ. What an amazing turn of events. So remember not only how hopeless the situation is, but remember your miraculous deliverance from these things. And when you remember, praise your deliverer. That's the last thing that Psalm 124 points us to. To give praise to the one who's delivered us from these things. For as much as this psalm highlights um, the, the, the strength of our, en- of our enemies, I mean, the, almost the whole song is just image after image after image of how how hopeless the situation was. For as much as it highlights that and stresses it painstakingly, it constantly, beginning, middle, and end, turns our eyes back up to the Lord, the one who is stronger than these enemies. If, if it had been anyone else, if it had been anything else that was on our side, we would have been in trouble. But thanks be to God, because it was the Lord who was on our side. And the Lord can deliver you because he is strong. He is stronger than the enemies. He is, as verse 8 puts it, the one who made heaven and earth. The people who put Jesus to death on the cross, they were formed by the hand of God. And they were breathed, life was breathed into them by God's spirit. The devil, the devil, before he turned against God, was created out of nothing by the Lord. So when my son makes something out of Play-Doh, and we're still at the stage where he's, we're making pancakes and, and slate snakes, that's where we, I'm actually still at that stage too. I haven't left it. Um, when my son makes something with Play-Doh, what sort of authority or power does that Play-Doh have over him? If it decides to get up and say, forget you, and start screaming at him and saying, I hate you, I'm going to fight against you, does it have the authority to stand up to him and he can't do anything about it? No. 
He'll squish it up into a ball, shove it back into the plastic container, and pop the lid on it and say, you're done. These enemies, Christians, are far stronger than you or me. We're no match for them. But they are no match for the one who created the heavens and the earth. And he's not only strong, God is. God is not only strong, but he is strong for you. Verses 1 and 2 with me. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side. Another way to read it is to say, if it had not been for the Lord who was for us. The maker of the heavens and the earth would move the heavens and the earth to save you. If 2,000 plus years ago, God would not spare his own beloved perfect son, Jesus, to save you. Do you not think that God will take care of you this week? Over and over again, this God is called the Lord. There are a lot of different names for God. Some names highlight how God is strong and powerful and mighty. Some names highlight how God created all things or or how God rules over all things. But the name the Lord, when you see it in your Bible, it's all, all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The name the Lord, that is Yahweh, is a wonderful name because it's a name that highlights how God is not just strong and powerful and and omniscient and all-knowing and all-wise, but how he is those things specifically for his people. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord is the one who is on our side. God has promised to do whatever it takes to keep his promises to you. So, very quickly, let me end by asking, what's the appropriate response? What do we do with this? It's to praise him. Verse 6, blessed be the Lord. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. I encourage you to use this time intentionally. If you're like me, I can, my mind will just, it just wonders. It just wonders. It goes to this or to that or what I like to do or want to do or, oh, it's too hot or the person behind me is breathing too loudly or whatever it is. Use this time intentionally. Use this time to think about everything that God has done, to think about the situation that you were in, to think about what it cost the Lord to save you from it. Tell him how grateful you are. Worship him. We're going to sing a song at the end of the service. What do we do from this passage? Sing. Sing loudly. Sing from your heart. Make so that others can hear you. It's, this praise is something that's done corporately. Let Israel now say. Let's all say it together. There's something so, so good about seeing somebody else in this room as you're singing. Do you ever look around when you're singing? Look at other people when you're singing. There's something so encouraging about looking around and seeing somebody who you know has gone through real severe trials or is facing them now or whatever it is and to see them giving praise to God for how good he is and what he has done for them and for delivering them from their enemies. It builds up your faith. It's encouraging to your soul. It increases your joy. So, sing loudly. And sing for one another and encourage one another to bless the Lord. And then lastly, why don't we spend time this afternoon praising God? 
Sundays are, are not like other days of the week. They're not our day. It's called the Lord's Day. It's not a day where we're to do whatever we want on it. It's a day where we spend time remembering. It's a day when we spend time resting from our works and think about what God's done. So let me encourage you this afternoon, spend some time by yourself, with your family or with friends, thinking about, talking about what God has done for you, and just spend time praising Him. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful thing to do from this psalm, that that's what the Lord asks of us? Thanksgiving. So I encourage us to do that, because God has set us free. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we do thank you. We thank you so much for um, looking down from heaven and seeing our situation. You could have left us there. It would have been totally just for you to leave us in our sin, to, to leave us to be seduced and taken in by the world, to let the devil have power over us to, to die. Because we've sinned against you. God, we thank you for saving us. We pray, God, that you would fill our hearts with uh, joy that comes from your Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy. I pray, God, that you would make us people who are filled with joy, with smiles on our faces and laughter coming from our lips. Uh, not, I don't mean lighthearted in the sense that it's something fluffy, but I mean deep joy um, as we remember what you've done for us. And I do pray that as we come to the Lord's Supper now, you would help us to, um, to give you praise and worship you well. And would you use it to strengthen our faith and remember how you have defeated these enemies even though we still fight against them now. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.